morning, I am Pastor Jay, and I am thankful for our music, the way it helps us to walk. Amen. You can play. You're ever hesitant to clap in church, just think of it as praying rapidly. Think about it. You'll get it. Okay. I invite you to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We had a uh, new member class yesterday that was a lot of fun. We had 42 people in it, and yeah, it was, it was wild. And uh, one of the things we talked about in that class was why we do things we do here and why we don't do things. And one of the things we talked about is why do we spend a large chunk of our worship service opening the Scriptures and teaching them? And I said it all goes back to theology. It all goes back to the book that Paul wrote for Timothy where he says, all scriptures God breathed and is inspired. The word God breathed is a word Paul used one time. And it means every single word that comes out of God's mouth that ended up in the Holy Scriptures is filled with life. And the reason that we get up every week and spend time, whoever's in the pulpit here, but spends time opening the book is because we are a people of the book. That doesn't mean every single person here knows Christ, but it's not an accident if you are here that you will be exposed to the words of Christ and the words of God, and they are life-giving and the only hope, really, on our planet. And so, to that end, we open the book this morning to the second chapter, no, second book, I did that last time, second book, 20th chapter. Uh, By the way, you'll notice this book is called Exodus. Very interesting, if you were ever in Greece, first time we were ever in Greece, we were heading out of the airport, looked up at the signs, looking, you know, you're always looking for the exit sign, like we have nice bright red ones in here. If you're in Greece in the airport, the exit sign would say, Exodus. (laughs) I looked up, thought, hey, they're advertising Exodus here. Oh, no, 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 hold on. That's Greek word for exit. Greek word for exit. Exit from what? Exit from Egypt. That is why in the Greek Septuagint, this book is called Exodus. It's about the great Exodus, the great exit from Egypt. And in this book, we had 19 chapters of deliverance, and then now God gives His law to His people. So Exodus chapter 20, we're in a series on the Ten Commandments. We're looking at one a week, and we've subtitled the series, God's Pathway to Freedom. Most people, even Christians, look at the law and think, oh, the law, it's Old Testament law. They think of it in very negative terms. It's very interesting. When you're reading through the Old Testament, different writers, they don't view it negatively. Now, the Apostle Paul in Romans 6, 7, and 8 has some negative things to say about the function of the law, but when you read people like King David, he loved the law of God. So did Paul in many ways, and so did Jesus. And so we're going to look at a little bit of this morning as we continue in our series. The reason we're going through this series, number one, it's in the Bible, and number two, we live in a day of great moral confusion, tremendous moral confusion that is increasingly damaging our culture and seeping into Bible teaching churches, confusing people, damaging marriages, ruining lives, and misleading precious people. And it's in the face of this moral crisis that a series on the Ten Commandments is more needed than ever to show us God's pathway to freedom. 
And let's face it, most of us in here today are desperate for more joy in our lives. And one of the key purposes of God's law is to show God's people how to find freedom. Not fake freedom the world offers, that's bondage. Real freedom and joy. And most of us would like more joy in our lives. This weekend we come to the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, honor your parents. Interesting, the first four commandments are vertical, deal more with our relationship with God. From commandment number five on, they are more horizontal, dealing with our relationships with each other. As we've done with each of the commandments, we're going to simply dive in. We're going to look at the what, the why, and the how. This is a great commandment, friends, and it's a very, very important one for families, and we'll get into that. First of all, the what of the commandment. Uh, Let me read the fifth commandment, and then I'm going to back up for a minute and make some review comments about the law. So first of all, here is the fifth commandment, the fifth word, honor your father and mother. So kids, good morning. Kids, teens, I want you to hear this, honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Now, we're going to come back to that. Having said that, because we're dealing with a section of the Bible that deals with the law, I want to, every few weeks, step back and do a little bit of review about the Christian's relationship to the law, because frankly, this is an area that confuses a lot of people, and even a lot of God's people. They just get kind of muddled in their thinking about the law. So, let me take a few steps backwards for a few minutes. I think you'll find this very valuable. I'm going to go high level and talk about the Christian's relationship to the law, what was the purpose of the law. I think you'll find this very encouraging. The Ten Commandments are part of what we would call the larger body of law called the Mosaic Law. That begins in Exodus and it goes through the book of Deuteronomy. It is just over 600 commands. The Ten Commandments are sort of the crescendo, and then Jesus even takes this in the New Testament and says, here's the two greatest commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. So there is a kind of this triaging of the commands, but you have this body, 600 commands. Here you have sort of the top 10 given, and this is the, these are the most famous, obviously, the, the 10 words of the Ten Commandments. And then you have Jesus' summary. Now, Here's probably one of the biggest misnomers about the law, even among Bible-going Christians. Ready? Somehow, even though we know we shouldn't, a lot of people, here's a big misnomer, somehow equate law-keeping with salvation in some form or another. In other words, obey these rules and God will be more pleased with me and accept me. And it's amazing out in culture, if you just ask people randomly, what's the Ten Commandments for? Well, that's how you, you know, that's how you get right with God, that's how you get saved, you obey the Ten Commandments and God accepts you. Problem is, this book does not teach that. It doesn't even come close to teaching that. Far from being a means of salvation, the law, the big one, the Mosaic Law, the Ten Commandments in particular, don't save anybody and can't save anybody. The law actually condemns us. That's right. The law actually condemns us. How so? It exposes our rebellion. You're a rebel. 
So am I. You're a rebel with a cause. I'm like James Dean, rebel without a cause. You're a rebel with a cause. You got a big cause. You got a sick and, sick and wicked heart. So do I. The, the law not only exposes my rebellion, and it, it reveals my, weak, my uh, wickedness, it, it announces God's judgment on me. And so far from being able to save me, the law, and let's just talk about the Ten Commandments, actually hang around my neck like a death sentence. Do you think you've kept the Ten Commandments this week? Do you think you've kept them this morning? Do you think you've kept them through the music time? I can guarantee several of you already broke several of them even during the music. The law is a death sentence around my neck saying guilty. Here's, in case you have any doubt, I summon the Apostle Paul to the witness stand. Romans 3.20, hear this. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. I don't know how to state that in any clear Greek or English. No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. Here, here. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Ugh. Have <laughs> you ever thought the law could save? Kids, you ever thought the law was given so, you know, you obey these rules and God? The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Or if you only go three verses more, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of God's standard. Now, that raises the obvious question. If the law wasn't given to bring salvation, and if it can't save anybody, how can we be saved? I mean, we are a group of moral failures, all of us, big, biggest one right here. We're a group of sinners and rebels, moral rebels and lawbreakers. How do we get saved? And the answer is very simple. The gospel the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of Abraham, the gospel according to Moses, the gospel according to David. What is the gospel? I need to own my sin and repent, and I need to believe in Messiah, Jesus. That's how Abraham would say. If you have any doubt, in Romans 4, I would encourage you to write Romans 4 down this week. Go home and read Romans 4. It's an extended argument that Abraham was saved just like we are by faith alone and Messiah alone, and that God credited that faith to him as righteousness. So the gospel is we're saved by turning from our sin and believing in Messiah Jesus. That's, what the, that's the gospel. That's it. That's how you get saved. It's the only way anybody's ever been saved. So now that leads to a follow-up question then about the law, so which people usually scratch their head and go, okay, if the law can't save us, if the law wasn't even given to save us, is there anything encouraging in the law? Is there anything positive about the law? Or is it just the law? Here the answer is very encouraging. The Bible says there's a very encouraging purpose for the law. And there is something extremely positive in the law. And for the most part in the Old Testament, the law is spoken of, and even by those in the New Testament, with great reverence and awe. They love it. And what is it that's so good and positive about the law? Here it is. Mark this down. The law was given to those who were already saved to show them how to please God, find freedom, and find joy. That is the main purpose here. It does reveal our sin. 
It does provoke us to sin. That's part of what Paul says in Romans. But beyond that, the bigger purpose, the law was given to God's people to show them how to flourish. Now, yeah, some of the ceremonial laws and some of the dietary laws no longer apply, but they do teach us about God. Every single one of God's laws tells us something about who God is. And remember why he gave his laws to his people. He didn't give a bunch of people his laws and say, here, keep all these and then maybe I'll deliver you from Egypt. Did he do that? No. He delivered them from bondage. He delivered them from slavery. Then he gave the people his law. That's grace. That's gospel. It's the exact opposite of every other world religion. So in other words, God's laws show those who are already saved how to choose the wise path in life. Because you can be saved and choose very destructive paths. Some of us here this morning genuinely know Christ and we are on destructive paths because we are choosing sinfully and foolishly. The law shows those who are already saved, here's the wise path, here's the foolish path, walk the wise path. That's one of the key purposes of the law, and that's how David speaks of the law. I want you to turn to one other section, the only other passage we'll turn to today, Psalm 119, and I'm going to give you two assignments as we read this. Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, what's the longest chapter in the Bible about? God's Word, Psalm 119, the whole chapter, longest chapter in all Scripture, and the topic is the Word of God. The law, it's words often used. And I want to give you two assignments as I read verses 97 to 104. Here's your two assignments. What does David say? What's the content of what he says? And what is his attitude about what he's saying? He's talking about the law here. And I want you to notice he isn't doing it with a drudgery. Oh, the law. I hate the law. It's a bondage around me. It's a ball and chain. So miserable. I want you to notice his attitude when he talks about the law. And remember, at this time, there ain't no New Testament. Some of the prophets haven't even lived yet. There's no book of Habakkuk. There's no Jeremiah yet. He has at most probably the Torah, or we call the Pentateuch, the first five books, maybe a little bit more, but not a lot. And yet, Looking at what we would call the Torah and the law of Moses, listen to how David describes the law. And ask yourself, have you ever sat in a Bible study and heard somebody talk about the law of God this way? Ready? Oh, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. You ever said that in your last community group? You ever look at everybody and go, I love the law of God. You're terrified everyone would look at you and say, you legalist, <laughs> right? You law-loving legalist. That's not how David talks about it. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all the time. Your commands are always with me and make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than my teachers. Why? Because I meditate on your statutes, your commands. I have more understanding than the elders, for I obey your precepts. Now, notice verses 101 and beyond. I have kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I haven't departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. I love verse 103. How sweet 
are your words, your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Sometimes, you know, remember back then they did not have a printed, they, people didn't have printed Bibles back then. The only copy really of a scripture at this time would have been at the tabernacle or at the temple, or in a, uh, that's about it. And so they would pull out the Torah scroll. But sometimes uh, either the rabbis or the leaders or even the people would touch the, the, the scroll and, and talk, they quote this, they talk about how the words of God are like honey to the mouth, the law of God. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. I hate every wrong path. You see what he's saying? Does he say one word in this about the law is, is how he gets saved? No. David already is one of God's own. But he is saying there's a huge purpose of God's law, and that is to help me walk the right path and not the wrong path. It's so easy in life, any given day, any given hour, to start turning down the wrong path, even for a committed Christian, and end up in the weeds, or even worse, hitting a wall or going over the cliff eventually. And the law is designed to show us, choose wisely, blessing, choose poorly, destruction. That is a key purpose of the law. You want to know who the freest person in the world is? Here's the freest person in the world. It is the person set free by Christ, set free from the curses of the law, set free to be holy. Why? Because the Bible teaches holy people are happy people, are joyful people. When we choose to sin, young people, when you choose deliberately to sin, kids, when you make a choice to sin, adults, when you say, well, this is the path I'm going, I'm going to whatever, cheat, lie, hold a grudge, get bitter, lust, eat too much, drink too much, get involved in sexual sin, do you want to know a word for that? Bondage, slavery, darkness, and the law is designed to show us freedom. That's the freest people in the world, those who know Christ and have been set free. 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. One of the oldest sayings in the church that I love, Deus pro nobis, God for us. And the church fathers realize that if we know Christ, God is for His people. He, he summons His elect, those He's predestined from be, before the world began. He summons His elect out of the darkness. He adopts them, puts His Holy Spirit in them, puts them in union with Christ, and gives them His law. And His law is designed to help Christians avoid moral pitfalls, avoid moral danger, make wise choices, and be truly free. You want to know who's not free? The tragedy is that many in our culture, especially young people, think freedom comes from doing what I want, when I want, however often I want. And we said a couple of weeks ago, there's a word where that ends up, depression. And that is why there's an epidemic of depression among young people today. Because we are a culture adrift and doing our own thing. You be you? Yeah. No. <laughs> Gospel according to Dove. You be you leads to hell. And even on the road to hell, it leads to misery and bondage and depression. Okay, with that, let's dive into the fifth commandment, a very important commandment. I'm done with my introduction now. 
So, great, we'll be out of here by 4 o'clock, don't fret. I know how to do this. No, we're fine. We're good on time. Exodus 20, verse 12, here we go, fifth commandment. First, the what. The what is not really very difficult. Honor your father and your mother so you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So, I'm going to be engaging kids, especially today, young people. What is the fifth commandment? Not too hard. Honor your father and mother. Kids, teenagers, by the way, if you're sitting by a kid or a teenager, make sure they don't have an iPhone in their hand, please. Look at them, smile, say, please put that down. I want you to listen. If you are a person living under the authority of your parents, here's your command, because this also applies to adults. We'll get into that shortly. This applies to everybody, but I'm especially talking to young people right this minute. Honor your father and mother and give them respect. The word honor means I honor them and respect them whether I like them or not, whether they're Christians or not, whether they're alive or dead or not, or out of my life or not. This command does not have any wiggle room in it. It doesn't have all kinds of conditional phrases in it. It simply says, love, I mean, not love, honor your father and mother. That's true whether you like them or not, whether they are honorable or not, whether they're dead, divorced, or have disappeared from your life. I'm under orders. Interestingly, go to the first word, honor. It's a Hebrew word. No big surprise. This was written in Hebrew originally. It's a Hebrew word, kabod, and it simply means respect. It's used over 350 times in the Bible, usually of somehow our relationship with God, and is usually translated either honor or praise or glorify, like Psalm 22, 23. Those who fear the Lord, praise Him. All descendants of Jacob, kabod Him. Honor him. That's the same word used here, kabod, your father and mother. Assign honor to them. So at the core of honoring both God and parents is an attitude of submission to authority. There's a phrase that's loved in our culture today, submission to authority. <laughs> not. That's important to note, again, this applies whether your parents are Christians or not. This is nothing about that doesn't even say if they're honorable people or not. I'll get into that in a little bit. I'm going to close today with some comments to those who have been raised in, in abusive homes. But the fifth commandment is not saying, hey, this is easy to do, or only do it if your parents are honorable. No, it is saying there is a blessing from God connected to the way we treat, honor, and respect our parents. That's the what. Why? Well, let's get into the why. The why of the fifth commandment is crucial to understand. Here it is. And especially want, again, young people. If you're living at home right now, your kid or young people, what's the why here? The why is very simple. Because the family unit, we're going dark. That's okay. I've preached in the dark before. The family unit is the birthplace of learning to respect authority in our lives. That is why this one is so important. The way a child responds to their parents in honors and respects is the birthplace of them learning authority in every other area of their life because the family is their birthplace. What a child or a teenager learns about authority in the home and submitting and respecting authority in the home will determine how they interact with and respect and honor teachers, Coaches, pastors, 
principals, employers, police, supervisors, government officials, and ultimately God. You show me someone who has no respect for their teachers, their police, their pastors, their principals, their bosses, their supervisors, whatever, and I'll show you someone who had no respect for their parents. That's how intimately and intricately these are linked. God designed it that we learn to respect others and ultimately Him by first learning whether to respect or not respect our parents. There's a direct link. Some of you know the name James Dobson, good old wise saint. He's still around. And a number of years ago, he wrote a book, still a good book. It's an oldie, but it's goodie. Parenting isn't for cowards. Boy, is that true. And in that book, he talks about a friend of his named Bill Houghton, who was a Dallas businessman and friend, who had a fairly good-sized company. And he said he learned something very important from Bill Houghton. He said when Bill Houghton was ever interviewing prospective employees, especially for leader-level kind of managerial things, he always made sure to ask and probe in one specific area. He said, I am specifically interested in the potential hiree, that that person's relationship they had with their earthly father. If you're a manager, employer, this is an insightful thing. Here's what he said. If someone has learned how to accept the authority under their dad, the chances are good they will later accept authority and the leadership of their employer. If someone was a rebel as they grew up, they are more likely to cause difficulties in my business. Close quote. That's insightful. That's insightful. Now I want to talk to parents a minute. And grandparents, but especially parents. You're on the front lines. Grandparents are <laughs> a tear back. Hallelujah. But, <laughs> but parents on the front line. If you have children and teenagers at home, one of the greatest gifts you can give them is to lovingly insist on and enforce that they respect your authority in the home. And friends, a lot of us need to do a better job at that. We don't have unity with our spouse on it, and we're not doing it, and we're not insisting and seeing that this is the incubator of this child's understanding of their relationship with God, and we're treating it casually and flippantly or even ignoring it or treating it very inconsistently. We need to, the first thing you need to do is make sure mom and dad are on the same page. And then lovingly, carefully, prayerfully, consistently, and in unity, give our kids a priceless gift in making sure that they are honoring and respecting us. They don't have to always agree, and as they get older, there's room for more communication and clarification, but at the end of the day, they are to honor and respect. And if they're not, you're failing your kids. And it's so important, then you get to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, in 1 Timothy 3, when he's talking about criteria for picking church leaders, elders in particular, he writes this, an elder must manage his own family well and see to it that his children obey him with proper respect. Obedience isn't enough. When we look at elders, potential elders, we take this seriously even here. We're looking for men whose children obey them with proper respect. All right, let's dive into the how of the command. And then I have that special word I said at the end. 
The how of the fifth commandment will obviously change. And quite honestly, this is one of the most painful commandments for a lot of people because of the homes they grew up in. So I want to talk to two distinct groups this morning about how this applies. There's lots of sub-applications, but broadly speaking, I want to talk to those who are still living under their parents' authority in the home. This could be a single adult, young person, teenager, kid. I want to talk, you're in one group, and then I want to talk to adult children who are grown and already have your own families, because we're still under this command. There's no loophole here until you're dead. (laughs) That's the only loophole. So, two groups. First of all, to children, teens, singles in your home. You're under, somehow you're under your parents' authority or still under their health insurance. If you're under their health insurance, <laughs> you're still under their authority because you are, unless you're married and gone, but if you're under their financial help in any way, under their roof, under them, and you're living with them, and that's kind of a permanent setup still, and you haven't exited the home, here's your key phrase. It's in Ephesians 6.1. Children, and the Greek term here applies to any child in the home. It's not just to babies and toddlers. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So to teens, kids, young people in the home, that's your word. Now, more dialogue can be allowed as long as it's respectful as a child ages. That's fine. can be helpful. But at the end of the day, when mom and dad have made a decision and when mom and dad have said, this is the way it's going to be, there's not just to be obedience It's to be obedience with respect. And if there's not respect and honor, then moms and dads, you have an obligation to follow up with that and make sure that appropriate discipline ensues because it's not just obedience, it's honor and respect. And sadly, this is frequently ignored. Parents, there was an article that appeared in the Wall Street Journal this last year, and it should jolt our attention. Here it is. There was a title of the article and a subtitle. It was back in the uh, editorial section of the Wall Street Journal. Title of the article, Children Outwit Parental Controls on iPhones. There's a lot of that going on even in our church. A lot of that going on even in our church. You better know what your kids are doing with their iPhones, and you better have good access and parental controls on them. The subtitle of the article Listen to this. The most remarkable thing is how parents obey their children. The tragic inversion of parental authority in the United States. Do you know what your kids are doing on their iPhone? I know I have some teens right now glaring at me. I don't care. I love you. Come up afterwards. I'll give you a hug. Do you know what your kids are doing with their iPhones? Some of you have no clue. Do you know if the proper parental controls and locks are in place? And if you don't, you'd better. Because that phone is hooked up to a worldwide web that is a moral sewer. And if you're not paying very close attention and on top of the technology, you need to be. That is part of your responsibility as a parent. The late British king, Edward VIII, said about the United States, this is a jolting quote, that the most remarkable thing was, from his observation, the way parents obey their children. (laughs) 
All right, now to adult children on your own. If you're married and you're under your own authority, your key word really isn't obey. Your key word is honor. Honor. Respect. We are obviously under a different relationship with our parents. Once we're married and under our own authority, we're not under their authority anymore. So the word obey isn't really the right word anymore. But we are under an obligation to honor our mom and our dad, even if they're, even if they're past. And there's lots of ways this, this occurs. Uh, how we talk to them, how often we talk to them, how we respond to them. Uh, going to them for counsel is a very honoring thing to do, even if we're not going to take it all. So what? They don't expect you to. But to go to your parents, even if they get older, and say, what do you think about this? That's a very on- it's an honoring thing for anybody to ask for your advice. It's a good honoring thing to do. How we treat them in public. Here, how you treat your parents in public, even when they're around your friends. How do you treat them in front of your friends, in front of your social context? How we care for them as they get older. We all know and we know it more and more as we age, how roles reverse. How roles reverse. And how you care for an aging parent is very much under the command of God. And the word is you're to honor them and respect them. There's some great examples in the Bible of people that honored their parents. Esther, her surrogate father in the book of Esther. Moses, his father-in-law in Exodus 18. David, the honor he accorded to his father Jesse in 1 Samuel 16, or Ruth, the way Ruth honored her mother-in-law. And there's some tragic examples of people that did not honor their parents, especially their dads, and it didn't end well for them. Aaron's sons, Eli's sons, Absalom, Samson, Rehoboam, there is a consistent lack of blessing on their, each of those men's lives. Some of them were just struck dead outright. We don't know if it was exactly for that, but all of them had one thing in common. They greatly disrespected and dishonored their parents. All right, I said in conclusion, I want to talk to a a small, unique group here. And it may not be so small, I don't know. But I closed my first sermon this way. Whenever I've preached on the fifth commandment in the past, I've done this, and I feel a very strong compulsion to do it here. So, I want to close by talking to those here this morning who grew up in an abusive home of some kind. I know there's different levels of abuse. I don't have time to get into all that, but I'm talking you grew up in a home that was sexually abusive, verbally abusive, physically abusive, emotionally abusive, or a combination of the above by a mother or a dad or both. I know that when I preach on the fifth commandment, I have people sitting out here, precious people, And I I know privately what a lot of you are thinking who grew up in an abusive home. And it's something like this. What am I supposed to do with the fifth commandment? My dad was not honorable. My mother was not honorable. They went out of their way to hurt me and damage me. And what am I supposed to do with my pain? Pretend like it doesn't exist? What do I do with the fifth commandment? That's why this is one of the most painful commandments. 
You might be right in the middle of that situation right now under the authority of your parents. Some of you are probably sitting in a home right now that's abusive. And so, just to offer a couple biblical nuggets, this comes from years of pastoring, talking with counselors, Becky and I dealing with many people who've grown up in abused context and simply talking with other pastors. Three practical helps. I think they're all anchored in the Bible, very much so, that can at least help you get to some help professionally and or better books and to help you think biblically and let God's Spirit help you on this. Number one, any situation you're in that you find yourself thinking that was utterly miserable, you have to move past the if-onlys and get to the at least. I mean, every one of us has situations in the past, and we say we have this running dialogue in our, if, in our mind, you know, if only, if only I'd had a different spouse, if only I'd had a different mom and dad, if only I'd had a different job, if only I'd had a different nose, if only I'd had different friends, if only, if only, if only. You know, we've all walked down the road. The if only exit comes every couple miles, and it's luring to take that if only exit. Don't. We have to get to the at least. At least, you know, whatever. They gave me life. At least they put a roof over my head. At least they clothed and fed me, and I can see God's providence there. That is the beginning of walking out of the swamp of if only. Secondly, whatever home you were raised in, the fifth commandment still applies. There's no loopholes here. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be enjoyable. It does not mean that we need to be even friends or have an ongoing relationship if we have an abusive, toxic parent. There are rare occasions when it's advisable if that parent is still toxic to distance yourself and for at least a season, you know, lessen contact for self-preservation. If they're unrepentant and still toxic, that is a completely different issue from forgiving them. Completely different. And we've watched a number of people over the years work through this. So number one, abandon the if-onlys, because otherwise you're saying God didn't know what He's doing. Put me in the wrong home, wrong parents. That is a rebuke of the providence of God. That's dangerous. And secondly, the fifth commandment applies to everybody here, regardless of the home we we grew up in. And it brings blessing. And here's the last one. Ready? Realize that forgiving even the worst of parents is a way to honor them. Even if you have to cut off a relationship with them or they're dead. You can forgive dead people. You can't absolve them of their sins. I'm talking about you can let it go. You can let the resentment go. And you can forgive them. And forgiving someone who was abusive to you, who was toxic, is one of the greatest ways to fulfill the fifth commandment. We can honor someone even if we never see them ever again by forgiving them. Forgiveness is an act of blame. And forgiveness is a gift you give to yourself. And the first step to forgiving somebody is making sure you've been forgiven 
to make sure you know Christ and have accepted His gift and have turned from your sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Tim Keller says it, here's the gospel in a nutshell. If you're here this morning and you're not quite sure how to get right with God, here's how Tim Keller puts it. Here's the gospel. We are more sinful, wicked, and corrupt than we could ever dare believe. That's true. And yet at the same time in the gospel, we can be more accepted in Christ than we could ever dare hope for. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That is the fifth commandment and that's the way to honor it. Father, thank you for the fifth commandment. This is not an easy one for a lot of us. And I pray for those here today in an abusive situation or who grew up abusive, that you would help them repent of their bitterness, move past the toxicity of grudge holding, and forgive how liberating it is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.